Well, good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is aired on WERU Community Radio since 1993, dedicated to the proposition that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio, the virtual studio these days, and you who are listening, create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. We're your hosts, co-hosts, Ron Beard and Liz Graves, and we hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. A reminder that during the pandemic, we're recording this show in advance and won't be taking any calls today. And this afternoon, our topic is childcare in Down East Maine. And I'm going to let Liz Graves um, introduce our guests and, and a little bit more about the topic. Liz, go ahead. Hello. Childcare has been, a, been an issue um, on folks' minds, and some really good news reporting was done by Maine Public um, over the last couple of years, which provided some great background uh, for us getting started planning this. Uh, our guests today are Courtney Wood, the director of the Beachland Road Early Learning Center at the Downey's Family YMCA in Ellsworth. Sarah Hinkley is executive director of the Mount Desert Nursery School, which is a small nonprofit center in Northeast Harbor. And Cynthia Murphy is uh, runs, among other things, the child Maine Child Care Business Lab at CEI Maine. Um, and she'll tell us more about, about that program and, and what it does. So we wanted to um, hear from you all first to, to jump in. What, um, maybe first from Courtney, how did you get started in this work and, and what do you like about it? Uh, good morning. Can you hear me well enough? Yeah. Um, so... First of all, thank you for having us. Uh, the Y loves to be a part of these things and introducing childcare to the community is huge. Um, I started here at the Y about 15 years ago in this position, but I started as a Y kid growing up in summer camp and then moving into a camp counselor and then a small stint as a camp director. Um, and then I took a break and explored life in other places. Um, and I came back as just kind of a what I considered a layover job. And I fell in love with childcare. Um, it was not my intention in life. And I couldn't imagine not waking up every morning and coming in and getting a hug from 10 to 27 children. Um, I couldn't imagine not watching them learn and grow and develop every day um, and watching all the changes and strides they make and the way they experience life. Um, so for me, I kind of started out as a classroom teacher and worked my way up as a lead teacher to a program coordinator. And then five years ago, when Jackson Lab approached us about opening another center in Ellsworth, um, I was offered the position as director here at the Beachland Center. Um, and we actually will be expanding again um, in the near future into Bar Harbor. And I will be the director for both sites of those locations. Um, so I get to help reach even more families and even more children in our community, um, which is so needed in Hancock County and really across the state and nation at this point. Yes, thank you. That is, it's so important and so great. Just so for a sense of scale, how many staff 
and how many children at Beachland Road? So here at Beachland, um, currently post pandemic, I guess you can kind of say we're still there, but um, we have about 60 children on a daily basis and 14 staff, which should be about 18. Um, and then we do have another center here in Ellsworth, and that center has about 67 children and 16 or 17 staff as well. And is there a ball, a, an estimate yet of the size of the of the future facility? About uh, 50 children or so will be housed there um, with 18 to 20 staff. Okay, awesome. Thank you. That's a great story. Sarah, over to you. What's your... How did you get where you are? Good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for having me here. My route was not as direct as Courtney's. Um, I have lots of background with working with children with families, working in the public school system with young children, um, and then raising two of my own. I have training in journalism. That's what I was doing when I came back to Maine after doing food production in Colorado. So it's really uh, quite a journey for me to land here at the uh, nursery school, but uh, much like Courtney, I enjoy very much just being around the kids and being an influence. And after the pandemic, realized the necessity for childcare and just what uh, a need there was in the community and wanted to be a part of making sure those that are in the community have a place to send their children that's safe and inspiring and um, that the places stay here for us. Uh, it can be pretty tough to maintain um, some of the things as far as those community um, foundations that we need. So being a part of that was really important to me. Wow, that's an excellent segue <laughs> to um, some of many of the things we'll be talking about, how to how to support and and make sure these needed services stay here, as you put it. Um, so Cynthia, you are, are not a, on the ground with children. So tell us about your, your work as relates to this. Yeah, thanks so much for, um, for asking Liz. And I'm really happy to be here with Sarah and Courtney today. This is such an important topic. Um, so uh, Courtney talked about the importance of early childhood growth and development and how that inspires her every day to, to go to work and and help children achieve and be ready to learn when they get to, uh, to kindergarten and elementary school. And Sarah talked about the importance of an environment that's safe for parents feel really comfortable bringing their kids. And um, in addition to that, childcare is essential for our state's economic growth and development. Because if a parent doesn't feel like their child is in a safe environment where they can grow and develop, it's really hard for them to have a full-time job or to go back to school and learn the skills that are needed to have a full-time job. So um, what motivates me every day is knowing that people like Sarah and Courtney are out there every day. And then I think it's my job. How do we encourage people to get into this field so that we can put more people back into the workforce? So um, I work at Coastal Enterprises, which is a nonprofit economic development organization. We're based in Brunswick, and we've been around for 40 years. And we help create good jobs, environmentally sustainable enterprises, and more broadly shared prosperity across the entire state. And we do that through our business advising, through our lending, and we do a lot of policy and advocacy work. 
So the first thing I mentioned was was good jobs. And we think that childcare is a is an essential element of someone having a good job. It's good wages and benefits. It's also knowing your children are well cared for and are growing and developing. So a few years ago, actually before the pandemic, if we can think back in, into 2019, we started to notice some somewhat alarming trends, and particularly in the more rural parts of our state, the more sparsely populated places like we have here in Hancock County, where there were a lot of closures. In fact, um, almost uh, 20% of the uh, family-based childcare in the rural parts of the state had closed in the last 10 years. And so we thought, well, huh, that's really kind of an issue. And we set out to do these listening tours. And we did them in seven counties. We did them primarily in the counties that, that touch Canada, the counties that kind of were in the, the center of the state. And what we heard is exactly what Courtney and Sarah will tell you, which is that people who go into childcare have this real passion for, for children and early childhood education. And what they are craving is more help getting started in the business side of things. So we put together this program with some funding from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and then also some local philanthropies stepped forward um, to, to fund our work. And so we created a program that helps people start childcare businesses, and we help people start nonprofits like, like Sarah and Courtney's. We help people start for-profit businesses. We have helped start cooperatives, family child care centers. We are agnostic about the model because we think that works in, what works in one community and what works for one person's childcare philosophy may not be what works in another community or with another person's um, childcare philosophy. So that's a, a little bit of, of what we've been doing across the state for the last three years. Awesome. Thank you so much. I have a couple of questions that that uh, reminded me. What are... Um... A family-based child care center you just referred to, is that the same thing as a home-based? Yeah, I'll tell you, it's a field that loves its its jargon. It does. Um, as, as someone who was new to the field, boy, it took me quite some time, but I had a lot of great help along the way. So family-based child care is home-based child care. So that's child care that someone may want to have in their home. And someone can have up to... Um, eight children and, and work by themselves, the different age groups of the kids. Um, if they want to hire someone, they can have up to 12 children in their home. And then anything larger than that is generally referred to as a facility. And there are really large facilities, like some of like what, what Courtney was talking about. And there are smaller facilities. Someone might have a facility of, of four that's out there beside their home or 13 or 20. Okay. And then the other, the other sort of shape that you mentioned is a cooperative. How is that different? Oh, that's really been fantastic. So um, uh, in particular in Lewiston, I, I work uh, very deeply with the immigrant population. I also work with the immigrant populations in Portland. And in Lewiston, we're helping to start uh, two cooperatives. And uh, one is a worker cooperative. And so that is a 40-child center where the workers are the members or the owners of the child care. So if you are members of the Blue Hill Cooperative, it works in a, in a, in a similar fashion. Um, and then the other cooperative is really interesting. I think of it as like a business cooperative. So I'm going to talk in terms that Courtney and Sarah are going to like for a second. So it is basically three small centers sharing space, shared kitchen services, shared marketing services, shared websites, your name, three licenses. And... Um, and each of those is eight children. So in that case, that's a, a 
cooperative made up of Angolan women, and we helped them to um, secure the financing. So uh, grant funding, as well as a loan to renovate what you can think of as your traditional downtown Lewiston triple decker that's been around for over 100 years that the former mill workers lived in. And with the Somali cooperative, the Worker 40 Child Worker Cooperative, um, we're helping them to buy what was a ranch uh, house, which is just really fantastic um, to think about them having having ownership. And what's been what, what's great about that is that um, cooperatives are democratically run. And so instead of having a single leader, it's a group of people who are making decisions and they all um, share in the profit and they share in the risk. What's also been great about it, it's not quite a cooperative question, but I'm just going to kind of sneak this in. Um, one of the things that I've learned, and I learned this actually by working in Millbridge, which is um, uh, just well, an hour from where I live in Blue Hill. And so um, working with Mono and Mono, I started to understand the importance of culturally appropriate childcare. And so that's what really got me started working in Lewiston and Portland with the immigrant groups because I worked with Mono and Mono. And um, what is interesting in Lewiston, given the high percentage of immigrants, there were really no opportunities for um, immigrant families to put their children in care where people looked like them and people had food that was similar to the food at home and the song and holidays were similar. So um, it's been a really rewarding experience. I'll just break in and remind listeners they're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning, or this afternoon, rather. And um, in the studio, the virtual studio by Zoom, we have um, uh, Cynthia Murphy, who we've just heard from. She is with CEI and the Maine Child Care Business Lab. Sarah Hinckley is with the Mount Desert Nursery School, and Courtney Wood is with the Beachland Road Early Learning Center, um, sponsored by the Down East YMCA, and of course, joined um, as well by Liz Graves, my co-host. I'd like to take us back a little bit to some of the basics. Imagine that uh, parents are listening, um, parents of young children, and tell us a little bit about what they're looking for. Um, uh, Courtney, maybe we could start with you. What what do you imagine parents are looking for as they seek um, either um, child care, as we call it, or early uh, childhood education? Yeah, thank you. Um, so as a parent myself of two boys, um, the main thing we are looking for, and like Sarah was saying before, is a safe environment, a safe environment where you know your child is safe, you know they're loved and taken care of, um, and you know that they're getting a good education and they're learning socially how to interact with other children and other adults. They're learning to express their emotions and needs in an appropriate manner, um, getting ready to go into the school system. And then branching out from there, what we find is like we have two centers here in Ellsworth and one is what we call downtown city center because um, it's right on State Street near the public playground near our main Y facility. Um, and then over here on Beachland, we are more off the beaten path. We have um, an outdoor classroom. We have a field they play in. We're more nature based center over here um, because we can't access all the downtown aspects like the library and those sort of things. Um, so then it comes down to what is a parent looking for? What are they used to, especially new people coming into town? You know, if they're coming from a big city, they want, they want more of a city-based center um, feeling. Or if they want their child to really be outdoors, in the woods, exploring, that sort of thing, um, they may want them over here. So I think 
coming down to it, it really becomes about even something Cynthia was saying, the family, the culture, what they're experiencing, what they're comfortable with um, bringing them in. Um, do they want them in a bigger center? Are they getting them ready to go to a really big school? Do they want them in a smaller center where if they're in one of our outskirts towns, those schools are much smaller. You've, you're talking kindergarten classroom sizes of maybe eight or nine, um, where here in Ellsworth, our classroom sizes get up to 18 <laughs> for kindergarten. Um, so I think that there's a lot of aspects looking into it. But I think first and foremost, parents want their children to feel safe and loved. Um, and they want to know that they have a great level of communication with the staff um, and with the facilities directors and those sort of things. So that way they feel like they're very heard um, and all of their needs are met as well as their child's needs. Sarah Hinckley, what would you add to that? Um, uh, Courtney's given a, a really great description, but what would you add from your experience that parents are looking for, families are looking for? Yes, Courtney, that was very well said. I would add that in our small school, uh, we have a population of 16 working towards 22, and that sort of varies across the uh, week as far as the number of days children come. So we can have a very small setting um, or a large group. What parents have been really looking for with us is the ability to introduce things that are um, A, an expanded knowledge of sort of diversity, uh, holidays, um, ways of being able to talk about other cultures, other um, different families. Honestly, we brought up family week and it was it was a very interesting exercise for me to talk to the different families that we had attending and how each of them approached that conversation. Um, so I certainly I'm learning as much from my parents and their needs, but I agree with Courtney, the communication is really a key thing, making sure that uh, the children are comfortable um, addressing and asking for what they need, and then the parents too, to be able to have some input on how things are approached to create that safe place for their child. And in some ways, I hear you saying um, you're assisting families getting their children ready for the rest of society and getting them ready for school, um, but just to interrelate with people who are maybe the same, maybe different than, than themselves. And it starts at a very young age, and, and you're, you're providing that kind of support. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And and um, again, I'll continue along in terms of what are the um, we've we've um, heard that um, there are many different models. Um, the the public model uh, that's well known um, has been well known is Head Start, um, and then we've got these uh, private um, home based daycare and then uh, center based daycare. What would what would be the prices, um, the the costs that are associated with those different models, and how do parents kind of find out about those? Who can help us with that? Just raise your hand if you're ready to jump in. Go ahead, Courtney. Um, I guess I can try to jump yeah, in on that. Yeah. Um, so, so Head Start is definitely more of a government-funded based programming. Um, they have a lot more requirements. Typically, they are leaning more towards helping families with lower-end income. Um, they get more funding um, for those things so they can pass that on to the families. Um, and so that's a great aspect in a lot of ways. Um, sometimes their ratios run a little bit lower. That sort of thing, because it is a Head Start program, they have to operate around a lot more 
um, rules and regulations. Like Sarah was saying, we get to the privilege of celebrating any and every holiday we would like to. <laughs> Head Start is not able to do that, unfortunately, just because of all of their regulations. Um, you know, we will celebrate Green Eggs and Ham Day and make Green Eggs and Ham just because we can, um, or Taco Tuesday just because we can, um, or any holiday or celebration. So pricing-wise, it is a little bit different. I think when you're looking across the board, I believe most of us in this state of Maine, or especially in Hancock County, have all been calling each other and talking to each other a lot lately, trying to figure out where we all stand in the pricing range. Because since pandemic, we've had to make a lot of adjustments within our centers and make a lot of adjustments within staffing and trying to recruit staff. We're competing with big box stores. We're competing with large organizations. Um, so as I always say, our facility and our life here is not a job. It's a lifestyle choice. When you're joining childcare, you're making a lifestyle choice to be a part of something bigger. So that may mean we're not getting paid as much and we're trying to not pass that on to the families as much. Um, so I don't know if there's like a solid like, oh, family care is always going to be less or center base is always going to be more. Um, because I think it really depends on where you're operating out of. I think it really depends on what you're offering. Um, our other center downtown is able to offer a food program that's state funded because they have a larger facility with it. We don't offer that here. So we offer other things to try to offset our pricing. We're a home-based center. That person may be able to offer three meals a day and everything else because they can get a great um, discount from the state government food program or that sort of thing. And they can pass that off to families. So I think when you're looking, it's really important to see what you're looking for as a parent um, and really what you can afford um, and what that cost means to you. Does it mean a quality education? Does it mean a smaller environment where your child is only one of eight? Um, does it mean that they're in a more rural area or more downtown area. So again, it comes back to what parents need, I I think. It. Right. So cool. I uh, wondered about the other side of the question Ron started with was what to families are the essential elements of, of good, of quality childcare from the other side of the table or door or, or uh, circle, what to a provider um, are the are the other essential elements of of quality childcare? What are what are the things that providers have to think about as well? That are maybe in addition to what the families come in thinking about. Sarah, do you want to start? Sure. Uh, I think as a provider for us, we want to make sure they're having a well rounded experience. So um, being able to introduce educational concepts, but also giving them opportunity to kind of understand themselves, their emotions, their ability to um, interact with one another and us as adults, but also how they integrate into their community. So with our center here in Northeast Harbor, we're really lucky that we're able to have members of the community be influential in the education that we provide our, our students. And also we participate in the library here, um, and are able to just kind of weave different elements into their education that really help them be aware of their place in our community. So as a provider, that's really important for us. Um, I think that also just making sure your uh, staff is engaging and they um, 
you know, the children feel as though they're excited and happy about coming each day. So as a provider, you want to make sure that you're creating that environment also where they're getting a full and rich experience. So if I could, I'd really like to try to stitch together um, what Ron was asking and what you were asking, Liz, and what what Courtney and, and Sarah were talking about. And so this issue about fees and, and cost is so super important. And um, child care providers across the state, like Courtney and Sarah, want to offer a high level of quality. The, the bottom line is that there is an economic mismatch between what parents can afford to pay and what it costs to deliver quality child care. If we look at it in pure business terms, and I realize we don't do this very often, just go with me for a few minutes here. The biggest cost that any child care provider has is their staff. And what we've heard from Courtney and Sarah this, this afternoon is that that's what makes the difference to the children and the parents is the quality of, is that one-to-one relationship between the child and the teacher. And so we've got this really, we've got a dilemma, right? Because the biggest cost base is their staff. What drives the quality is the staff. And as Courtney was saying, someone can make the same amount of money or more working at a big box store or a fast food restaurant. So I do want to point out that there are a couple of programs that have have uh, started to help across the state. There is much more work to be done here. The Child Care Subsidy Program, which I know both Courtney and Sarah are very uh, familiar with, does help income eligible families because the state will fund a large percentage of the child care fees. During the pandemic, the the state used uh, uh, COVID funding to pay for all of that. And the income levels are higher than you would think. In fact, for um, a family of, of four, if someone makes, uh, it's it's almost $99,000 is the threshold. So if somebody makes $99,000 or less for a family of four, they're, they're income eligible for st- subsidy. So that that is something that we strongly encourage parents to take advantage of. Um, when you are looking at a child care center, um, that or a home-based child care that provides a high degree of quality. Quality is measured in the state. Um, we, we have a four-step program that we use to measure quality in, in a quantitative way. And when a, a child care provider is at a step three uh, of four, four is the highest, so of step three, then um, the parent copay in the subsidy program goes down, the state picks up more of it. So that really encourages parents who are income eligible for subsidy to seek out what is defined as a higher quality environment. And for any uh, child care provider, family-based or center-based who is at a step four, the parents get a double tax credit. So the state has done quite a nice job at trying to tie together um, kind of the fiscal issues with the um, with, with the quality and encouraging that high quality in this difficult environment. And the last piece that I would say is uh, Courtney mentioned wages and wages are a big issue. Uh, nobody goes into child care to, uh, to, to make it, make it rich and, and retire early. They go in for it because they've got a passion. Uh, nonetheless, um, child care providers and, and teachers and assistant teachers, et cetera, need, need to have uh, 
be able to care for their families. And so uh, during the pandemic, there was an uh, incremental uh, $200 per month per child care worker um, that was delivered through the child care providers uh, who then distributed it to their staff. And um, Governor Mills signed a, um, a, a budget um, piece that uh, continues that starting this month in September. So it goes a little ways towards, uh, you know, some of this issue that we're all grappling with. Thank Again, you. I'll, yeah. I'll just remind listeners they're tuned. Um, this is my job, Liz. I'll have to do it. <laughs> remind listeners that they're uh, tuned to WERU and listening to Talk of the Towns this afternoon as we talk about childcare in rural um, down east Maine. Um, our guests include uh, Cynthia Murphy, who is with the CEI uh, Maine Child Care Business Lab. Sarah Hinckley is with the Mount Desert Nursery School. And Courtney Wood of the Down East YMCA's Beachland Road Early Learning Center. Um, I, I suppose that that uh, employers um, are, uh, you've mentioned um, state um, support, but employers are increasingly concerned about making sure they have good employees and good employees really require um, great um, childcare and, and early childhood education. Um, how are employers involved? Maybe we'll start with uh, Cynthia and, and see who else has some some thoughts about the way employers get involved. Yeah, sure. It's such an issue for employers uh, because it, it helps keep people uh, in the work in the workforce. And so employers um, for years have stepped forward. And, and I think Courtney can tell us a good story about that in, in just a few minutes. Um, the way that we're working with uh, businesses across the state um, is, is different. So I'll describe a couple of models. And it, we really try to work with businesses to help them define a model that works for their business, that works for their um where, where their level of profit is, what their um, employees are, are interested in, and also really looking at the community as a whole and what kind of child care resources are there. So um, if a business has space on their in their building or on their campus or, or, or something like that, and the space will meet the requirements of the state fire marshal and the state child care rules, we think that a great model is for that space to be leased out to a licensed, high-quality child care provider. What this means is that the employer is not in the day-to-day -day business of thinking about curriculum and the food program and the subsidy program and all the nuances of the, the regulatory environment that Sarah and Courtney live in every day. Uh, and so that, that is something that has proven to be very popular. Um, another option, if uh, an employer is interested in thinking about how do I reserve slots for um, my employees, we'll work with them in a couple of ways. One of the first things that we try to do is tap into the existing childcare ecosystem. So who are the childcare providers in the community today, whether they're family-based or whether they're center-based? As we've heard today, different environments suit different parents and different family styles. And so one really nice option for a, a, a business is to think about allowing the parent to be able to select from a variety of, um, of child care providers. And the model that we encourage is really that if a, a business, I'm going to use these in air quotes, you know, kind of, um, you know, owns a slot, the parent pays all of the fees or the subsidy program kicks in there. If the spot is vacant, then the business 
will pick up the fees while the spot is vacant. And that's also proven to be a great model as employers are thinking about attracting employees uh, who have children. Last thing I'll say is that we also coach employers on how to work with the subsidy program. (laughs) The subsidy program to many can be a mystery. And like any good state program, what does it have? A lot of paperwork. And so there's a part of the subsidy packet, we'll call it, that is completed by the employee. There's a part that's completed by the employer. And there's a part that's completed by the uh, child care provider. So we're coaching uh, people in the HR function to have that packet when they're doing new employee hiring, to have the rates so that someone can see what income levels are eligible for subsidy, and then for the employer to have their part filled in so that the employee simply fills in their part and brings it to the child care provider. So I guess I would I would um, self- summarize by saying there's no one size fits all, and um, and it takes conversation with um, the employer and their employees to create a model that works. Courtney, do you want to tell a little bit about um, kind of employer um, uh, center? Connections, because you've you've got um, a good example, either existing or one coming up in in uh, Bar Harbor. Yeah, thanks. Um, so we do here. Five years ago, we partnered with the Jackson Laboratory. Um, they wanted the same thing. They knew that they were going to be bringing more jobs to Ellsworth when they built their new facility, and so they knew that our center was already full most of the time. Um, with limited availability, and they wanted to be able to provide more, not only for their employees, but for their community. Um, So they did exactly what Cynthia said. They actually um, leased the property, built the building out, um, got it all ready, and then asked us to come in and run the day-to-day operations. Um, And with their own, we have our own contracts with them about um, slots and things like that. Bar Harbor is going to be roughly the same thing. Um, The goal will be for Bar Harbor that it'll be primarily lab staff down there with if there's space available, we could bring in community members, but they have a lot of babies coming up. (laughs) Um, Those lab families, man. Um, So that's, that's kind of the basis of what we did. That's exactly what Cynthia said. The employer really knew that they needed more childcare for their employees. They're bringing in even more, they're expanding even more. So Therefore, we have to do it again um, to allow for enough space um, in the community. And we do, we are working towards other corporations in our community doing kind of the same thing. Um, As Cynthia was explaining before, they are reserving slots and their employee would pay for them when they need them. Um, So that's a model we're working on and working towards. Um, As we've kind of gone through the pandemic, more and more employers are realizing that that's going to have to be something they veer towards. Um, if they really want their employees to be able to return to work um, at the end of maternity leave. And I think what's super important is that these models, while the the, um, Jackson Lab gets so much press, uh, well-deserved in their their partnership, these models work for smaller businesses. And and that's what's important. It can work for a startup business, it can work for a business with five employees. We've um, we've worked with every size and in really really rural parts of the state, as well as the more, more urban sections. So I'm really was totally blown away to hear Cynthia. And now I want to ask Sarah and Courtney about 
um, providers have to fill out part of the application for every family who's applying for subsidies. That's a lot of paperwork. And I'm curious. So the bigger question is what, how big a part of your daily lives is that interaction with the regulatory system? So uh, Cynthia mentioned the one to four step rating system that what are the, what's that evaluation based on and what do you have to do? What reporting do you have to do? And then maybe after we hear from Sarah uh, and Courtney, we could back up and Cynthia could talk about what a brand new center will would work on. Sarah, you want to start? Yeah, sure. Um, so as far as uh, paperwork, um, it can be relatively onerous. I would say working with child development services even more so, but state subsidies, you certainly have to take care to stay on top of making sure families um, aren't waiting on you for things. And so that becomes part of the communication and the processing of paperwork. Once they've submitted something, if they're getting things to you, submitting them as quickly as possible. And then um, you have to keep on top of submitting different hours. The child's there. So it's an ongoing process. It's not sort of a one-time thing and then they're ready to go. Uh, so that can definitely take up some time, I would imagine, for those with lower income families or those who qualify, that takes up a lot more time. Uh, I will um, concur with one of the previous comments about how a lot of families don't realize how available subsidies are. And that's something that as a center, we really try to emphasize at this point, because I think when families are having a hard time, it's one of the first things I say is, don't forget that you can apply for this. You never know what you'll get. It's really important to understand there is help out there for you. And um, sorry, repeat one of your other questions. Just about um, the any kind of rating or classification system that the state works under what it, what do you do to get the information they need to them? Yeah, the um, so as far as the subsidy program for families, I feel like I have a pretty close contact with our local um, social worker or the person that is um, working with the cases. So I try to communicate as much as I can there. As far as the rating system, that is a level of training that you need to engage your employees in. And so it becomes, um, you know, the, the initial steps may be six to eight hours of training. And then the further up you go, the more training your staff undergoes to be able to earn those um, credit points and and your facility can then become a higher qualified in the main roads to quality program. So are the trainings that staff will have to go somewhere for or is some of it able to be done remotely? What 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 tell us about this training? <laughs> what- yes, it's all under the guise of the main roads to quality um, program. And thankfully I'm not sure how it was uh, pre-pandemic because I'm pretty new to the position here. But right now you can do most all of it on demand virtually and um, the information is provided handily so that your staff can train when it's convenient for them, which is really great. But it also means outside of school time hours. or um, And so that, again, is the investment of making sure they're passionate enough to put in the time outside of being with the children to invest in their position. 
Courtney, anything to add? Um, yeah, Sarah covered a lot of it. So subsidy as being two large centers, um, we deal with subsidy a lot. Um, the paperwork part is not as bad on our end here as a director because it's it's one quick little sheet. The poor parents have like 15 pages they have to fill out. Um, so I always remind them like, don't get overwhelmed. Just if you need help, please bring it in. We'll help you with it. Um, and then it is, we have a special, we have a dedicated person because we have so many centers that is purely just for billing hours. Um, sometimes we have to count actual hours children are here to send those into the state and bill for them. So that part can take a lot. Um, as far as the quality rating system, yeah, training now um, is all virtual. So I have dealt with it before. I do say as someone who dealt with it before, I miss our local RDCs. So our local resource centers were phenomenal. And it was a great way for staff to actually interact with other centers, other facilities, that sort of thing. Um, now it's all do it on your own pace on time. They are starting to add Zooms back in so people can kind of interact. Um, but it is now based all on their own time. And the quality rating system is fantastic. The hard part, though, for me on our end as a center is if you don't take it through the main road system, you have to constantly send in. So when you have 18 to 20 staff just in one facility, let alone two facilities where are getting up to 40 or 50 staff, we are constantly emailing, mailing packets to the main road system for them to add and put them in. Um, I sent a packet probably about this big a year or so ago, and it never made it to the system. So then we have to go back through and photocopy it all and send it in. So that can be tedious, um, but it is definitely worth it once you start moving up in the, the ranks of that quality rating system. So I feel like families, maybe especially, would be fascinated to hear about this. What are the topics of these training sessions? You're talking anything from child development um, to like birth through six months, six months through 12 months, to communication, to outdoor education. Um, there's, we use many different sites. Uh, we use one called Conscious Discipline, which is about use, really using positive phrases and meanings and how we handle things, um, to how to integrate um, cultures into your programs, how to celebrate certain holidays, really. In the world of childcare now, I have to say, it is fascinating the amount of trainings you can find it on. It used to be like you had your seven to eight core trainings, and that was about it, and you repeated them constantly. Now, one site alone has 350 different trainings on it, and anything from how to play on the floor on your tummy to how to read a story or do a puppet show. Um, so really, it depends on the staff interest, um, what program they're in, what age group they're working with or what the center is really looking for them to work on in that moment. I love that you mentioned, Courtney, the um, the benefit of having, even if it's on Zoom, a colleague group to, to share stories with, especially really demanding tasks like being a teacher. Um, it's, it's really, it's such a yeah, demanding and energy taking job that it's I I hear I gather really really important and beneficial to have colleagues to to debrief with. So yeah, so, yeah. and I promise I would ask what what briefly are the steps a brand new center um, needs to go through. But feel free to share your other thought first. Sure. What I was going to say was just picking up on this this theme of um, of feeling like you have you know, colleagues that you can learn from and grow from. Um, that was a core part of our, um, uh, when we started the childcare business lab, 
uh, you know, when I was doing these listening tours, um, I, I remember I was I was standing in this this woman's uh, kitchen in in Caribou, and it was December, and she's I think she's perfect for childcare, and she's you know zipping up kids going out in their snowsuits, and um, and one mother is picking up an an infant, and and the person who works for her is already outside with some of the kids, and then two kids get off the bus, and I'm thinking it's madness. This woman is made for it, and she said, you know, Cynthia, she's been in business about a year. She said, I feel all alone. I feel like I'm figuring this out like two seconds before or two seconds after I should have. And and I had heard it over and over again, but that story stuck with me. And so our program is cohort based. And so really starting to create those connections of people who have the same challenges and they might be in different geographies across the state, but they have the same aspirations. And many of those relationships last well beyond our program and, and well after they they open. But speaking to the quality steps, you know, they are all of what Courtney and Sarah talked about, including, you know, uh, really about what kind of practices you have with parents and how you're helping to grow and develop children. And so um, we really, we work with our programs to ensure that they are at the first step by the time they open. We um, commit to them. We will help them get to step two by the end of year two and step three by the end of year three. So once they open, they don't really lose us. We stick with them. Um, and we try to connect them to main roads to quality and to um, organizations like Educare and many of the other resources within the existing ecosystem. But we do at CEI is primarily glue everything together and then we provide that business component and that small business experience for them. So we really, really glue once someone's open and helping them climb the quality steps. Great. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns this afternoon. Our guests um, include uh, Courtney Wood, who is the Beachland Road Early Learning Center Director with the Down East YMCA. Sarah Hinckley is with the Mount Desert um, Nursery School. And Cynthia Murphy, just as you've heard, is with the CEI program called Maine Childcare Business Lab. Liz, we've got about 15 minutes uh, left. How do you want to direct this conversation? Yeah, I think we're doing great. Um, I'm still um, thinking about a like a theoretical uh, new home-based or family-based center and just curious what the, I uh, guess from Cynthia, what the very basic top-level nuts and bolts requirements are in a decision like, will I or will I not be able to take infants? For example, I wanted to touch on on that um, dividing line between between many centers. So, would you give us yeah. some basics? Yeah, thanks. Sure. So, um, I'll, I'll I'll probably use the childcare business lab as a way of kind of sketching the way that we we work through this. I'll say at the outset that our objective is really to uh, deliver what it takes to open a quality childcare environment, and and that's it. And so, you know, after the pilot program, I learned, oh, my gosh, we still have too much and really kind of paring it away because these are lifetime careers. And so there is plenty of opportunity once someone gets open and they are financially viable and stable. They understand how to pay people. They understand how to enroll kids and how to deal with one kid biting another and all that kind of good stuff. Then they can start to think about, oh, I want to get to step three. <laughs> or I think I want to learn about this curriculum over here, right? So the first thing that we do is we uh, bring everybody all together. And we throw a bunch of magazines on the table and scissors and tape and glue and all kinds of crafty stuff. And we ask them to create a vision board. We ask them to put their dreams, their aspiration on, on a board. And that really guides them, you know, throughout their entire experience with us. 
And from that, we use that where people are so excited and they explain it to everybody and people start to make connections. Oh, you're interested in a nature-based programming, me too, you know, or I'm thinking about a science program and, you know, what have you. So um, uh, from that, we start to teach the basic concepts of creating a business plan. We think a business plan is important really for two reasons. One is it provides a guide for someone. I know for me, if I write it down, I'm much more likely to do it. And secondly, you need a business plan if you want to apply for a loan or a grant. Before we hang up today, I do want to talk about the state infrastructure grant program. This is a great opportunity for uh, people thinking about childcare. So let's put a pin in there. Um, so from that vision board, we teach them how to think about their target market. And Courtney and Sarah talked just about target market earlier today. So if you are focused on, you want to create a nature-based program, then you think about what are the families who would be most attracted to your child care? How do you create a full complement of services that match their interests? So we teach them how to do light market research. And from there, the business plan really takes off. Um, and we include everything from uh, how to price, how to think about expenses. Um, they need to determine from that vision board and, you know, as they start to narrow down into their, their plan and their expenses, what age groups of children inspire them. There is a great need for infant care across this state. And we absolutely love it when someone wants to accept infants. But if infants aren't their jam, then they shouldn't have infants. If they want to have an after-school program, guess what? There's a great need for after-school programs, too. And so it's important for someone to really understand their interests. And then as they do their market research, they start to see, is there a market? Will people buy my service? Are there parents who are interested and who will pay? Uh, and then from there, we teach about uh, the operations, we teach about uh, the marketing plan, and we do this in a variety of ways. We don't just use our own internal business advisors. We have the voice of the childcare community peppered throughout this. So um, we work through a series of workbooks that simplify the business plan process. No one who wants to go into childcare really wants to spend hours creating a business plan. This thing is like a recipe. And then childcare providers, let's give an example. Say we're going to talk about, we, we teach about uh, pricing, how to set your fees. And so we talk about all the nuances with that and all that, you know, and then we bring in a panel of child care providers and we mix centers and we mix family-based and we mix rural and urban. And um, what they get from that, what the participants in the child care business lab get from that is they understand the implications of the policies that they make. Do they want to accept part-time children? What are the implications on their fees? Do they want to think about when they're open, when they're closed? Do they accept subsidies? Do they go on the food program? Some of what Courtney and, and Sarah were talking about before. So there is that part of this. The other piece of, of starting a child care business, whether you're home-based or whether you're in a center, is you are required to have about 25 policies for the families. There are plenty of other policies that would be great to have. You have to have a certain 25. It's roughly 25. And so we help them create that. We also pair them up with a child care mentor so that they get that been there, done that experience from someone who's in the field. So they're getting inputs um, throughout the entire program. In addition, they have um, a business advisor. So that's also one-to-one. -one, that's outside of the, the workshop so that when they're stitching together their business plan, their childcare policies, where they've gotten all this input, the business advisor helps make sure that it all, all sticks together. 
and that they'll have a, a financially uh, viable business and a, and a long-term career. And then finally, if you have employees, you have to have employee policies and also are also required by the state to earn a license. And then um, I won't go into this, but there are a whole series of requirements about the space, right? I mean, if you're uh, in, the, in a larger space, you have, or if you're outside your home, you need a sprinkler system, you need a fire alarm system. There's all kinds of all kinds of things like that. Did I answer your question to any extent, Liz? Yeah, it, you're great. Um, Cordy, do you want to add something? I was just going to add, um, in, as far as what your original question was about how to decide age groups, mm-hmm. a lot of it comes down to ratio too. Those home base, if they take one infant, it drops everything for them. Um, same with center bases. So. When you're when you're talking childcare and people are always like, well, I don't understand why you can't get more kids. And I was like, well, because infants, you are allowed to have a max of eight in a classroom and it's one teacher for every four infants. Um, and if you're trying to run quality, you run it closer to one teacher for every three infants, because if you've ever taken care of an infant, four of them by themselves can feel like a hundred. Um, <laughs> so that's a huge factor in a lot of it. Actually, one of our employees left uh, about a year and a half ago and opened her own infant toddler only center here in Hancock County. We were thrilled because that is a huge need for Down East right now. Um, I'm sure Sarah has a large wait list, but infant alone on our wait list is about 70 kids. If you're talking six months to two years, which is an infant theoretically in age. Um, it's about 70 kids, and that's a lot of families who need care. We've that's got about five minutes left. Five minutes left. Uh, Liz, oh, how boy. would you want to? Okay. So yep. Lots to do in five minutes. I've got a couple of, of resources notes. One is that uh, here in Hancock County, um, our local community action agency, I guess they're called, is Down East Community Partners. They do have a program assisting families with applying for subsidies. And Cynthia, 30 seconds or less to talk about the state infrastructure grant. (laughs) Great. Um, COVID-related money has come into the state. $15 million has has been allocated to child care infrastructure grants. So what that means is is if someone has ever thought about starting a child care business in their home or in a center, this is the time to apply because this is money you'll never see again. In addition, existing child care providers that are interested in expanding their licensed capacity are also eligible for these grants. Grants can be used to uh, renovate a building, to put a whole new building up. They can be used to fund um, children's activities. You need playground equipment. You need a fence. You need those wood chips that go underneath. You need inside stuff, toys and games and musical instruments and all that kind of stuff, all included in this. And in addition, what's most exciting, working capital. Um, so that covers your first month of, of difficult expenses while you're waiting for the subsidy program to kick in. Great. Okay. So my favorite question is that we close out with, and we'll start with Sarah, uh, but everybody will get the same question. Uh, what do you most wish families and policymakers understood about childcare? What do you, what do people not know maybe that you wish they knew? I think the biggest thing is the time it takes to create a great program and the um, amount of money it takes to run one. So when you're giving them um, the cost of a, of a day at your center, recognizing how we come to that and what it takes to pay staff, buy food, 
and tools, all of it make the keep the heat on. I mean, really, the cost of operating is is much more. And I feel the same way about the public school system. If 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 we if families understood the requirements, the childcare centers are. Um, made to adhere to, they would probably be much more understanding about what we are asking of them as well. Awesome. So briefly, Cynthia next, and then we'll end with Courtney. I think the issue of workforce is one that really we really need to address for all the reasons that we've articulated, primarily that economic mismatch between what it costs to deliver the quality care and what parents can afford to pay. Yeah, great. Courtney. Yeah, I think it's the same across the board. Staffing is the biggest one and the cost of that um, and getting quality staffing in and getting people intrigued in childcare again and what that means and what teaching them from a very young age means to these kids and how they will go about the rest of their lives. Well, we've come to the end of a very short hour. This was a wonderful conversation. Uh, be sure and join us from 4 to 5 on the second Wednesday afternoon of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you have comments or suggestions for new topics, please email news at weru.org. And stay tuned. Uh, please tune in for our companion program, Coastal Conversations with Natalie Springle from University of Maine Sea Grant from 4 to 5 on the fourth Friday of each month. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Bounding House Highland music recording. Liz, thanks so much for you to, to get, gathering this wonderful set of guests. Um, they included Cynthia Murphy with the CEI Maine Child Care Business Lab, Sarah Hinckley with the Mount Desert Nursery School, and Courtney Wood of the Beachland Road Early Learning Center at the Down East YMCA. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown and Joel Mann for engineering our program. And stay tuned for Ralph Nader Radio from 5 to 6 and The Groove Shop from 6 to 8. Liz Graves and I are producers and hosts for Talk of the Towns. This is Ron Beard wishing you a good afternoon. <laughs>